0: Tell us what you know and what you built. How proud are you of everything you have built and accomplished in life? (laughs) Tell me about how you were born. Yeah. How long you were, what your weight was. I couldn't tell you. We couldn't get my my
1: mom on the phone. She'll tell you all of it. Phone a friend? Let me get your baby book out.
2: She'll go through it with you. All right. We're rolling. We're rolling. Back with another podcast. We're back. Big Hunt Guys podcast kicking it off. We're starting to feel good about Is it. Is that the name? Are you that, guys
1: calling it Big Hunt Guys podcast? That's big, the podcast hunt guys. and you should. And you should. such a great name.
2: Today we got a guest on Chad Riker from Backcountry Rookies, the founder himself. Big go hunt fan.
1: Big go hunt fan.
2: Number one go hunt fan. I my probably guy, am. My favorite guy.
1: Your your team out there probably says, "Oh God, this backcountry <laughs> rookie tags us in everything." I know man. our
2: social media team's gotta like it. We yeah. love
1: You gotta like the love. Yeah. Well, we've been doing it for a few years, so it's been working out good. Always been a good partnership, for sure.
2: Heck yeah. So I think just tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, how you got here, how you started Backcountry Rookies, just a little background information. I want to know the deep dive into Chad Riker. The deep dive. Who is Chad? You don't want to go that deep. Who is Chad? You
1: don't want to go that deep. So born and raised in Indiana, which um, doesn't have a lot of backcountry, right, or mountains rather. So I didn't really know anything about hunting the West or really didn't know much about the West at all when I lived in Indiana. Um, it wasn't until I, so I joined the military, traveled overseas for several years, in, you know just being deployed in, in different, stationed in Germany, stationed in Hawaii, and then came back to the States. And um, I lived in Arizona, which was really my first encounter with mountains, Southern Arizona down near Port Huachuca. Um, kind of fell in love with mountains at that point, but, um, married my wife, she's from West Texas, and that sort of started the mule deer bug, I guess. You're probably Uh, mm -hmm. familiar, Brady, Uh, with mule deer. I know a lot about the mule deer bug. Yeah, so (laughs) that started for me in West Texas. Um, it's where I was introduced to it. My father-in-law is a ranch manager, so I had opportunity to see, uh, Barbary sheep, which I have a nice barb on the wall. Um, and, found mule deer right and started hunting mule deer but for if you don't know much about texas it's hunting is a lot different in texas than what we're used to in the western states F- one it's not public land right. very little of it i think two percent is public land and a lot of it is just find a ranch drive around on that ranch until you find mm-hmm. the animal that you want and then you shoot the animal so it, although that was very fun and and i shot a few good deer out there and that barb um it wasn't exactly what i wanted so, well, here's the, the philosophical
2: part, I guess.
1: I was okay. looking for the adventure, right? The military <laughs> Through the military, I always had fun and exciting adventures and did all kinds of great things. Well,
2: what were you doing in the military?
1: So I started out as a cavalry scout, which is basically, I'll call it glorified infantrymen. Infantry guys, I'd probably argue with you. But um, I was a ground pounder and then deployed to Iraq and kicking indoors and doing all of that kind of stuff. Um, reclassified into a different job and I went into the intel world from there so intel um, for like the last 10 years of my military career but um, yeah so the adventure part was the being a cavalry scout right Uh, we did all kinds of crazy stuff when I first came in we were still doing traditional warfare which honestly is probably what we're going to go back to training now because we trained I was in Germany and we trained for to fight Russia and to fight in the in the mountains of Europe, you know. And to, that's kind of where we were at. I see us probably going back right. that direction. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you but, go
2: right out of high school then into no, the mi-
1: – No, no, no. So I went – I s- bounced around for about five years out of high school and then joined the – so September twelfth, two 2001, uh, I walked into a recruiter station and joined. Uh, well, that's, that's when I decided to join. Right. Went to the cool. recruiter station and started doing – what jobs can I get, you know, kind of a thing. Um, and I could have, I tested very, very high on all of the the scores and tests that I needed to take. So I could have really done anything. <laughs> and then the movie Black Hawk Down released, and I <laughs> went into the recruiter station the next day and literally said, I want to be a ranger. That's all we're going to do, right? right. Like, I got to jump out of helicopters and do cool stuff. Um, I couldn't, for whatever reason, I couldn't go into that field at that time. And so I went into the cavalry world, which is, like I said, really similar. Um, nice. So a rabbit hole, I guess. We got down that military yeah. rabbit hole. But really, I was looking for the adventure that I had. So when I was in the cavalry, I really stayed active, and we were always doing stuff and always training, always in the middle of something. And then when I reclassified and went into the intelligence world, it was a lot more desk job, a lot more mm-hmm. analytical work, and um, just kind of – a suit and tie a lot of times you right. know i was in a suit and tie out talking to people and um, less adventure so uh, i was deployed to belize i believe it was and a terrible place to be deployed By the <laughs> way, just awful just <laughs> terrible but i was down there and i had a couple of weeks at the end of the deployment where i was by myself in a hotel and um, i was watching some long-range shooting videos on the youtubes and uh I don't know why the how that algorithm did it, but Randy Newberg shows up in one of those, and I started watching it. And it was one of those Randy shows where he's talking about public land and opportunity, and just getting out and you know seize the seize the opportunity while you can. So that really piqued my interest into okay, well this is. Growing up in Indiana, you right. always think about an elk hunt being this. I have to have a guide, and yeah, it's, you know,
0: it's unobtainable, unobtainable. Almost. That's what everyone thinks, you know. Yep. I Me mean, growing up in Minnesota, I had the same thought. Exactly. Right? You need a ton yeah. of points. It's hard to get into mm-hmm. it. Barrier of entry is high. Ton <laughs> of
2: money. Right. Yeah. That's just assumptions we all had. And I do think it's like all of us are from the Midwest. I'm from Iowa. Brady's from Minnesota. You from Indiana. And I and I think we all are on the similar wavelength of like that adventure, right? Yeah. That's always, like, that next step. It's like, God, I, just that adventure and the appeal that the West has. Yeah. Seems to always push the Midwest it. people out. Yeah.
1: And then when you experience it for that first time, it's over. That oh, first yeah. bull that bugles dude. in your face or that first mule deer at 200 yards or whatever. It's just like.
2: So Randy Newberg was your inspiration.
1: He was the guy. Oh, then, dang him. Man, oh. he got me good.
2: And then from there, you started thinking about. Building your own thing like backcountry rookies? Yep. How'd you how'd you get to that?
1: All right. That, so there's there's the next layer, I guess. Um, so we like I said, we were on this deployment. I had no idea what a podcast was. I had never heard of a podcast or anything. Uh, but we had terrible radio service and we had our own little car and Belize that we were cruising around in. No radios, no nothing. And so the guy that I was down there with so, said, well, let's listen to a podcast. What the heck's a podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. he turns one on, and I said, well, this is amazing, right? There's all kinds of stuff. I think that was actually uh, the first podcast I listened to was a Joe Rogan, Cam Haynes thing. Oh, nice. So there was some outdoor right. connection there, too. Um, but it really got me to think, okay, I, I see this Randy Newberg stuff, and there's obviously I'm interested in that, but I don't really know much about how to do it this podcast thing maybe there's a podcast that covers western hunting so i started digging and searching and i found a few out there but they were all talking about the same stuff and really there wasn't a lot of those questions being asked from the new guy perspective a lot of it was a big overview from the people that have been doing it for five ten years and um, i thought there was a lot missing there was there was a ton missing for the guy that's never done it before Mm -hmm. so i decided to try to figure out what a podcast was and how to start my own, and and um, I wanted to start it from that b- very base level of the guy from Iowa, or the guy from Minnesota or Indiana that wants to go for his first time or her first time or whatever, and I tried to take that information from what I was learning as I was going through the process, and then spin that into some sort of educational podcast. And
2: what do you what do you think? From, you know, working in the backcountry rookies, what do you think is the biggest barrier to entry or like the most common question that you hear from somebody that's never gone Western hunting?
1: Yeah, I. it's got to be. So the point thing is is big and people don't understand that there's opportunities without points or with very few points. And then the over the counter opportunities is another one that's that's usually asked, well, how do I go? And Because they hear all these other podcasts and they hear all these other stories about, well, I drew this with three points or I had to have right. ten points. So yeah. I think that's a big barrier to entry is just understanding where the opportunities sit. Right. And and there's so many great – you guys are – Gohan is fantastic about pushing that information. Randy is really good about pushing that information, the over-the-counter stuff. And I've tried to push that too. And yeah, because yeah,
2: probably a lot of Midwest guys, like, you just go – walmart buy a tag
0: that's literally what i was going to say like yeah. that's what it's i think confusing for people because they just don't realize that if you want to hunt out west you have to plan ahead for it mm-hmm. and you have to figure out when these draws are when the application deadlines are because we're all used to like i said just going to the gas station or walmart yeah. or whatever yeah. to pick up our tags every single year so like yeah you have to start by knowing when these states are open when the deadlines close because mm-hmm. if you miss it that year and like you might not even think about hunting it that season or two years from now but you know you want to hunt out west eventually yeah might start looking at building points or looking at those over-the-counter opportunities to start figuring out your game plan in the West. Right,
1: right. And so I did a thing, you guys do your application strategy and I recorded a, a podcast about how I apply and it has to do a lot with that that entry level stuff because I don't have a lot of points, but I have enough now where I can start actually putting into states. But it, it was really crucial for me in the beginning to know that there was states like Colorado that was over the counter. And then to plan ahead enough to know well if I'm buying an over the counter tag this year I need to buy a point in Arizona and I need to be looking at Wyoming and I need to be looking at these other states. Colorado may not be over the counter forever, right? right. There are already no. some of those units in southern Colorado are not over the counter elk tags anymore. You have to apply for them and it's so um, I'm glad that I do have a little bit of a surplus now and I can start putting points together.
2: I noticed on your on your backcountry rookies website like we were just mentioning one thing that's hard for new people going out west is just understanding the draw. And then I notice you have stuff about like gear, which is it's a lot different gear setup out west than oh, it is yeah. back home, back east yeah. hunting whitetail.
1: Yeah. So gear is an it's a barrier, I think, but I I also think it's a barrier that is we've put it there. It it we've we've put that barrier in place through I don't know social media is probably part of right. it, but. You don't have to have all of that gear. And I hear a lot of people say that. Like, you, you don't have to have it in order to go, right? You can go just buy your tag and, and go. And I've said that a lot, too. But that's also misunderstood, too. Because there are things that you you have to have. And there's gasoline that has to be purchased. Like, it's not just super cheap to go hunting. There's yep. things you're going to need. Um, a decent layering system. I always say it doesn't have to be one of the top brands or top whatever, although they're more comfortable
0: and they're more functional, but you're going to need something. You're not going to go in jeans and a flannel. Yeah, because if you're going to plan to go out west, it's going to be a certain time frame you have. Mm-hmm. You can't, like, go back to your house and warm up and then right. go out for an evening hunt. You're out there yeah. in the wild for a week. And, yeah, so that's why I always think, like, like I said, layering system is always big for people, rain yep. gear. Yeah. Obviously, if you're backpacking, you need a certain backpack type that can actually handle the load of your gear, plus getting that meat out. Mm-hmm. And then even, like, backpacking stoves and the food you take in the backcountry is going to be different than the food you might consume, yeah. you know, back home whitetail hunting. Yeah, and test the food ahead of time. That's a big one, too. <laughs> you don't know what that's going to yeah, do to you. Yeah. <laughs> We've all <laughs> been there. There's yeah, sure. Everybody's been there. The that's certain gone meals out that you have with the camp and then, you're, then your yeah. brothers are like, hey, can you just, like, you know, not bring that anymore? Because you. Sp- yeah.
1: Or bring your own tent. Right. Bring your own tent. One or the other. Exactly. Yeah, if you're going to bring that bean and chili, bring your own tent next time. So is it just you over at Backcountry Rookies? Um, Over the years, we've had a few people that have supported us. um, Right now, it's pretty much just me. I had uh, one of my really good friends. His name is Jordan. He did a lot of my social media stuff for a couple of years. He was a big part of that. And um, unfortunately, he took a different job, and he didn't have the time for it anymore. So it's pretty much just back to me. Um, I had some guys that would help me edit my podcasts, Really, they would just listen to them ahead of time. I would send them out and get a kind of a pre-listen and make sure I didn't say anything dumb. Which there's a lot of edits, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, now it's it's pretty much just me, and then my buddy Jordan helps out every now and then with social media stuff. Hey,
2: yeah, you guys have a ton of stuff on your uh, your website here: gear reviews, packing lists, recipes, yeah. videos. Yeah, we had,
1: so it was pretty robust when we very first started. We had a lot going on on the website, and we had there was a lot of. Um, Ambition, I guess, on how to build it and what we wanted to build, which some of that is still there too. But there's to me, there's just people that are like, there's Go Hunt, right? You guys are doing all of this stuff that I have on my website, and you're doing it 10 times better. So th- I, I think that's why I support you guys so often mm-hmm. is because you're doing exactly what we had decided to do four or five years ago or looked at doing before we even knew what Go Hunt was. And to see other people do it so much better, I, I just – I don't know. It's one of those things why why keep scratching at it, right, and why keep doing it when somebody's doing it so well. And To me, I would rather support that right. and, and try to mm-hmm. elevate the ones that are doing it better. Um, so we that website, we have – I haven't posted anything to that website in a while. Oh, you haven't? No, I should. I, th- I, th- I think what you do
2: there. well that we probably don't do as well is a lot of people look at us as, like, Western hunting experts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're – not the basics. So sometimes new beginner hunters get a little intimidated by some of the stuff that go hunt does because it's so technical and yeah. it's like yeah. for experienced western hunters. Whereas you are more speaking to you know the new hunter who doesn't know and ask asking yeah. asking those yeah. stupid questions, which is like the hardest thing for anyone to do. Is just oh, ask yeah. those. I'm full of humility. Right? I don't
1: mind asking the dumb question
2: if I don't know how. To how how it. has been like the feedback from new hunters?
1: Good, good, good. So we get a lot of those messages. Hey, you know the bull, the guy that, with his bowl in Colorado, and he says, "Man, I just really appreciate everything you guys put out. I learned a lot, took something away from certain episodes." Um, so we get a lot of good positive feedback on that. Um, I have a lot of friends that go out hunting now, and they all say the same thing too. Like, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done it if I didn't know that it was that easy to yeah. to be able to do Cause, it. Because
0: you're just breaking down the barriers, people. Like that's what I we mm-hmm. talked about earlier. Like. Like Neville just said, too, like we do a great job, I feel like, of the intermediate to advanced hunter, and we definitely need to do a little bit more on how to use the tools if you're the first-time hunter, trying to explain people about, you know, picking up these tags, doing these things, and like... The way it all works trying to get them into it because once you're into it you'll understand it yeah but there's a lot there's a lot there because you know we try to cover everything from you know 100 just starting out 365 days a year you can be basically researching scouting planning for another hunt (laughs) i spend way too much time on go hunt insider i can tell you that there's
1: a lot of research that goes on Uh, but i do i i agree 100 percent once you break those barriers and then a couple of years into that starting your western hunt there's so much to be learned. And a lot of it is like, I can't say a lot, right? I haven't killed a big wall full of mule deer or a big wall full of elk, but I go out every year and I have a lot of fun.
0: And, um, I'm able to take animals just about every year, not every hunt. And and that's what it's all about. It's like success means different things to different people. Like Mm -hmm. to a lot of my family. Like I took my brother this year. He didn't obviously draw a tag in Montana, but we went out there. He got the experience Western hunting for the first time. And Mm -hmm. He finally told us like he was interested to come out there and we tried to put him in. Obviously, like I said, he didn't draw. But now he's like, Why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah. I didn't realize how fun this was. Yeah. Like he's so used to, you know, like the family aspect, sitting in the stand, coming back at night, you know, mm-hmm. watching some T V, talking about, you know, hunting the next morning. And for him, hunting was only like, you know, weekends. Minnesota Rifle Opener mm-hmm. on the weekend, the following weekend, that his season was basically over. And now he's like, Man, I can expand my season and take some, you know, obviously I'd take some vacation time to try to go out west, but he's like I'm sold he's like he's like what gear do I need what boots we we're just talk, texting each other yesterday about mm-hmm. boots to get because he's like I want to go back to Montana next year and hunt yeah and I want to figure out other states I can go hunting yeah. so he's like just from that one little experience of taking him out there boom he, he's addicted to western hunting now yeah and that's
1: usually all it takes is one right I, I hear that all the time from people that I've either new guys that I text with or people that have, I've podcasted with and every time it's I got to go back I got to go back. Or you hear the guy that says, I saw the mountains in the rearview mirror and I was ready to turn the truck around and go back to chase elk again or, or just whatever it is. So yep. Those kind of stories are really fulfilling.
2: What, what do you think is the most common question that you get from new hunters asking about Western hunting?
1: I think a lot of it, it's probably cost. People really do get concerned about that cost because it, it can be really expensive. Um, I, I One of my buddies that runs another podcast, he talks about the spending that, on, on layering systems up front, you know, and then coming out and, and, um, it, can you do that? Of course you can. And do you have to not necessarily. Um, one thing I, I do try to tell people about cost is if, if you're really concerned about it, then get two or three buddies together. And one guy buys the tag. Right, right. the next guy's buying the camping equipment and the camping gear, because the likelihood, if you and two buddies go out west to hunt elk for five days, because let's be honest, if you're coming from the east, you're not coming out for two or three weeks. Right. You got two days of travel on either end, and no, you no. may get five to seven days, and you're not going to fill three elk tags in, in yeah. five days. I really mean, you tough. could, you could, yeah. you could, but then you got to get it out. Yeah, right. You got to pack, pack it out. You got to get it to where you're going. So if one guy has a tag in his pocket. Everybody that's in that hunt camp is going to learn something from, from that hunt. And it may be that you learn, these mountains are huge. I never want to hike them again. My feet hurt. I This sucks. And I never want to go back. And then now you know, right? And you never We're had out. to buy that tag. So
2: Yeah, it's one of I do. I remember my first Western hunt, did over-the-counter Colorado elk. And just making that first, like, initial jump to just go out there and do it, then you start learning, like, oh, I'm not bringing this ever again. Ever again. Yeah. Like, I, I remember the first thing I was so pissed about, my sleeping pad. I took one of those foam, mm-hmm. not even like a blow-up one. Oh, yeah, the fold-up one? Yeah, the fold-up one. that Like, that's my glassing pad that I have I was now. I say, those are called yeah. seating pads. Yeah. Not, not I slept on that. Pad. I said, I didn't sleep a lick for five days straight. My yeah. back was just broken. I'm like, all right, first thing I got to do is buy a sleeping pad. Then it was like, my pack sucks. I need to get a new pack. Yep. Maybe yeah. boots, need some new boots. But I think just making that initial jump, and then you'll start to learn from those experiences mm-hmm. just being out there. And I think people need to have the mindset of maybe I might not kill. Like, I'm going in over-the-counter Colorado. It's going to be a tough hunt. Like, so I think some people, get they get too excited. They're not understanding, like, what they're going into, and then they're let down. Yeah. They're like, oh, they, they, don't know the, they don't know what to expect when they go out there.
1: I totally agree. Totally agree. 'Cause you see it all over Instagram, right? Every everyone looks you like you don't the see the misses. Nobody's right. posted. And and if you do see the miss, it's a beautiful sunset shot, right? And so you see that picture. Sun goes down on the Arizona deer hunt. Okay, that guy didn't kill anything. <laughs> right. Got it. Yeah. I, I know what happened there. But you see all of those big bucks and, and you know, you see all these great pictures and so it's kind of a little bit misunderstood the difficulty right. of it. Um, yeah i
2: think just setting expectations i even do that for each hunt depending on the tag i have right like if i have a mule deer tag i know it's going to be tough like all right i'm going to shoot the first decent four point that i see just because i know my expectations of that hunt so i'm not wasting my time out there and having a disappointing hunt
0: yeah and and that's why even too to me like even we talk about all the time like every year we go to Colorado, why don't we pick up an over-the-counter elk tag because we always run into elk some good bulls too but it's like it's so hard to, then to plan out a hunt and try to kill two animals in one week get to pack out that other animal. You're trying to go after an elk when you should be hunting deer is your main focus. And like, sometimes like yeah. you put too many tags in your pocket, you're spreading yourself too thin. And it's like, if you just want to go out west, you just want to do one species, maybe try that out. Like that'd be the route to go right away. Cause like as Neville said earlier, like you find out all those crappy parts of your gear list. Like back in the day, I remember so many different, like why did I bring three pairs of socks? Two pairs of underwear. Like, yeah. I ne- you realize all this gear you never actually took out of your backpack. It just sat there heavyweight every single day that you're carrying. Yeah. And you don't have to go super ultra light, but it's like you realize these certain pieces that didn't serve your purpose on the mountain. Yeah. Uh, another thing I try to stress,
1: too, is it's not that glamorous to go somewhere for 10 days with an ultra light backpack. It is glamorous. It's very glamorous to have all of these ultra light things and to be able to go stay in the mountains for 10 days. The reality of that is people have never camped out. They have never slept outside of their house. And then they get this this idea, I'm going 10 days. I'm going high Mm -hmm. country, chasing mule deer. Two days into it, they're scared of the dark or something in the (laughs) mountains, right? They're slept in the mountains. A tree falls a hundred yards. They shut their pants a little bit and then they go home. Or they go to town and get a hotel. And so I think staying in a comfortable camp near your truck or your vehicles or whatever you have maybe on the first year or Mm -hmm. first two or three years i still do it now i we talked about the kodiak canvas i set that thing up anywhere i go that thing's a staple in my Mm -hmm. gear list truck camping
2: by far is the best
0: it is 100
2: brady and i are awful at it at first just because we've done so many backcountry hunts. we forget
0: all the simple things we're basically
2: doing a truck camp but eating and Everything else is as similar as a backcountry camp, but we've gotten better at truck camping. Yeah, we, we've
0: forgotten those, like, lawn camp chairs for so long. Like, we're, com- we're truck camping. Like, we need to be sitting in a comfortable chair at night. Absolutely. Not being in our tent. Cooler fuller be- beer. Right. Yeah. Bottle of exactly. whiskey. Yeah.
1: Something like that to ease the pain <laughs> right. from the day. Right. And yep. uh, I just think that that's super, super valuable. Um, that – just being able to come back and be comfortable because when you go get your ass kicked for even if so it's let's say it's supposed to be 10 days turns out to be three days you're probably not going to come back next year right you're, you're just not going to do it you're going to go home and say that sucks and you're going to sell all your gear and everything that you I'm ever had. S-
2: stick to whitetail hunting i'm going <laughs> to stick to a whitetail or shooting pigs over corn or right. whatever it is that yeah. you're
1: from and if i just think if you set up a nice camp and you build a campfire and you got two or three guys and you know, you're cooking steaks and uh-huh. you're doing all kinds of stuff at nighttime. It's it's a lot easier to come back next year and have a camping trip with the guys and maybe
0: kill an elk or whatever. Yeah, um, Especially like you touched on too, like the gear side of it. Like you can just use the basics you have right now and then slowly figure out what to mm-hmm. expand on. Like gear doesn't instantly mean success. Like you don't have to buy the top gear and have – I've been doing it all wrong this whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the most expensive, expensive gear list is not going <laughs> <Shit>. to instantly mean <laughs> you're going to punch a tag. And yeah. so it's like adding those – little pieces of upgrades slowly like that's going to ease the cost barrier of going out west and i think it's just not worrying about you need a bunch of fancy things like yeah yeah we'd all like to have the most fancy best of the best but like at the end of the day you just have a right mindset and your body's physically capable to go and you're able right. to camp back there like you'll find success out yeah west. yeah what and was, it just
2: takes time what, what was your first western hunt
1: uh elk, elk colorado elk yeah outside of the mule deer in texas but Yep, we did Colorado elk for three years, I think. Just and then over, coos just, deer in Arizona.
2: How was that first one?
1: It was terrible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was ter- we uh, well, we, we didn't kill
1: anything. We were into bulls. Uh, I remember I had one screaming at me at like 30 yards away. And um, it was that very – you hear it all the time in archery. Like, as I'm standing sitting here looking at that beam that's in your sh- showroom there. I that bull was standing perfectly behind it with all of the vitals behind a tree. You know, it was just that setup. And then he turned and walked away, and there was no shot, but he was right there. And I'm standing there looking at this thing like, oh, my God, I've never <laughs> been in this situation. This thing is amazing. It's bugling, right? So very, very cool hunt. Um, we had a guy that came with us from Indiana, and he, he really had a rough time on, on that hunt. Altitude sickness, he just kind of got banged up the whole time we were out there, and, and um, we ended up, so we had those great aspirations of let's go. I had these, these, all these campsites marked where I wanted to, you know, we're going to hike to this spot, and we're going to camp, we're going to bugle these canyons, and, and then we've got another spot over here we're going to hike to the next day. We had that whole plan. And on day one, like halfway through day one, we were back at the trucks, and we had our tents set up at the trucks, and we were hunting from the trucks. Do so you think you week.
0: bit off more than you can chew right away? Like ambitions going somewhere?
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, could, well, could we have done it? Yes, we, yeah. we could have. We, th- that friend of mine from Indiana really struggled. So we got up to 10,000-something, I don't remember, ten five, and um, he started to have a panic attack. There was a bad situation. We were in a really bad spot. Um, we had, we made the call to go back down to where the trucks were at and to get him off of the mountain. So, and that required some work to get him down. In fact, we were carrying his pack out and we were trying to get him out while everything we could. So we get him off the mountain, um, and we get back to the trucks and he took a day off actually to try to acclimate and to get himself mentally right Mm -hmm. where he needed to be. And, uh, so we ended up truck camping. We had a great time. And we were more mobile, too. So instead of we got into some bulls in one area, right. we were pretty sure we pushed them up over uh, up over a ridge onto the other side. Well, that night we went back to the trucks. We got up early the next morning. We took the trucks around to the other side of that mountain. And we hunted elk on, on the other side of the mountain that day
0: yep. instead of hiking 10 miles you know, and up yeah. over the ridge and around to, to get there. But you also learned something right there, too, about just being adaptive mm-hmm. and knowing that you guys – whatever couldn't go into the back country but you still could find elk and you knew to still like even taking a vehicle relocating around the other side of the mountain you're still hunting you're still able to find animals because yeah. like i said you just were being smart about it so that's like a really good thing even though if you guys was first hunt like you knew where the elk were and how to get yeah. there and you still like kept going yeah. and pursuing it and i've gone back to that same spot in colorado
1: multiple times since and been into elk every time so has, has your friend been back he has not. He, he wants to, <laughs> but he still yeah. hasn't, you know, it's, and it's, he's a big white-tail guy from Indiana, and
0: he, you, you think that first experience is like weighing on him maybe about it? Or it could. I should probably talk to him. I've never really asked him.
1: Get about him on the podcast, it. get him on. Yeah, <laughs> get him on Yeah, he's, he's such a great guy, but, um
2: You have any gear malfunctions on that first one? Anything you can remember like, oh my God, why the hell did I bring this:
1: A pistol? there was definitely so that first one all kitted up you know pistol mounted to the bino harness and all of this stuff and it was southern Colorado yeah that'll never happen again in southern Colorado maybe pushing up towards Wyoming and getting up Mm -hmm. you know I could see the need um, you're just carrying extra weight every day extra weight yeah and then so that was a big lesson learned there and I'm trying to think other not really any major malfunctions that I can
2: you did some good homework beforehand
1: yeah, <laughs> that's always good. Yeah, so but we all had pistols on that trip, except for I had one buddy that was really experienced, and he was like, "What? what what's Let's deal with those, man." Yeah, <laughs> we were yeah. like, "Oh, we gotta be ready," you know. And, and two days later, those are locked up in the trucks, and we're never carrying pistols again.
0: <laughs> so. What's the uh, what do you think the future of backcountry rook- rookies looks like? What are your what are your plans and ambitions and goals for 2022 and? We'll see, right? I mean, so the podcast, we talked around here.
1: We've talked about the podcast a little bit. Um, I was formerly on another network, and then I pulled everything off. And so all of that's going to start getting re-uploaded, and it'll come back to where you can search for it and download it yep. really soon. Um, and then continue to record. And uh, we've got, so I already had one good hunt this year. I've got a cool bear tag coming up in, in New Mexico. And, um, and then we'll see. We'll see how my Go Hunt draw odds worked out. I've got some really good opportunities this
0: year. Start burning some of those points. Yeah. Maybe let's jump into insider for a little bit.
2: My, I was just gonna say my favorite thing is uh, talking about go hunt draw odds when it says a hundred percent and then somebody doesn't draw that tag. We get that question all the time. Yeah, okay. but you
1: gotta I mean what the hell
2: it says they're, you're they're not
1: predicting the draw odds. That's the thing year. that's the
2: thing that we gotta like message to people all the time is those draw odds are from last year. Yeah, it's a, you know, it was a hundred percent last year. Doesn't mean that this year's gonna be a hundred percent. Last year's a hundred percent. And we,
1: you gotta do it right too. So um Is it Arizona? Top three? Or no, top two. Mm-hmm. On your first pass, you only get two looks. So I and I've screwed this up in the years past. I put that one percenter as my first choice. And then I put like a 3% draw odd as my second choice, and then 100% for a third choice. Well, they're only looking at your top two. So my t- I had a 1% and a 3%. Why didn't I draw that 100%? All the tags were gone by the time I right. came around for that mm-hmm. next look. So you really kind of – you got to go into the strategy articles is where it's located, and then I think you also have it in your hunting regulation page too yep.
0: where it tells you,
1: exactly how to
0: apply for that draw yeah and that's what neville's trying to say too is like the 100 percent level was based on 100 percent the previous year mm-hmm. so we can't calculate out there's no way to predict all these people that might be sitting on the fence for the past five years just building points we can't predict where those people are going to now this year they ha- have the points and they yeah. would have more points for like a general hunt and they want to jump in there for like a wyoming elk hunt for example mm-hmm. yeah and so they're going to Screw the odds and make possibly make point creep go up because these guys had more points and they're like oh I was going for limited entry for so long I just want to go hunting in Wyoming I'm going to dump my points this year we can't predict that and you can't predict people who have been applying in other units and then all of a sudden they jump in a different spot like Colorado for example yeah. you can't predict that so if it says 100% that's why I always look at you know application trends or things going up in the applications or you know all take the, take into account the bigger picture and not just solely focus on draw odds because yeah draw odds are phenomenal and they do help you out time about figuring out what you have potential to draw but you got to take into account everything else too is it going to be a good water year more people are going to want to burn their points in Arizona because let's say there was a monsoon it's everyone's talking about antler growth. more people are probably going yeah. to dump their points yeah. because of that and it's like you have to take in every little count yeah. to try to pick up these tags And those little secrets at the end will help put more tags in your pockets or help you apply it in a reasonable unit to actually get a tag draw is it not
1: not the draw the strategy articles where like I think it's the trends yep where you can go back and i did this for or i'm currently doing this for all wyoming to where three years ago it may be a hundred percent at seven points and then four, two years ago it was a hundred percent at five points and that so you can kind of see how the trend is working its way back to where okay yep. well i've got three points this year there's a better possibility now than what i had a, a few years ago yeah and you can always so. see too
0: that point break thing like where people have been drawing in the past and how mm-hmm. it might be creeping upwards and now you're like well I'm not going to draw it, but the only way I could draw it, let's say Neville had seven points, and we could party app together, and our points could average out, and we could actually get that tag and different strategies around that, too. Yeah. It's, there's I'm a lot, lot to it, that's right. for sure. What
2: is a, I'm interested in what, what is your process for application season? Because I, I feel like for a lot of new hunters, they just they don't even know where to start, right? And if yeah. they are go hunt inside, there's so much shit on there, they don't know what to use, why to use it. Yeah. So I'm kind of interested in like how, how do you break down your application season? Where do you start? What's your process? And hopefully getting a tag.
1: Um, so I start with Arizona cause it's the first one to drop the results, right? It always starts there. Um, I never draw, but I always apply. So I'm not one of those just by points guy. Mm-hmm. I even apply for antelope, which is never going to happen, but yep. I still apply cause yeah. you have that random chance. chance There's that random chance that it could come together. Right. Um, So I always apply for that and then I I don't apply for every state. I I have been buying points in Wyoming, I have points in Colorado, I live in New Mexico and then I buy points in Arizona or I have points in Arizona. Mm -hmm. So I wait for Arizona results to come out and then I apply for Colorado and New Mexico and once those two drop, that's for this year, this is my plan this year, Um, once those two drop their results then that will tell me whether or not I'm going to put in for Wyoming because Wyoming is the last of my yep. states.
0: So, so you, are you putting in for those states specifically because they're relatively close to where you live or you think you have the best opportunity, best bang for your buck long-term to eventually pick up one of those tags? I It's proximity
1: to the house. Proximity? Right? Yeah, it's about where I live. And um, Arizona's not far. I go there every year anyway because of the coos deer hunt, so yep. I so already, already have a license yep, already and that it's – I might as well apply 15 mm-hmm. bucks or 20 with a point guard. So why yeah. not? Right. You already got the license. So I apply, but I apply in Arizona for hunts that are just, I'm never going to draw them. Right. I'm f- applying for unit one archery elk kind yeah. of stuff. There's less than a percent chance or something. So I apply for those. Um, and then, like I said, when those uh, release, I'll apply for Colorado and New Mexico. I pretty much already have my strategy built for those. I'm just, holding out is it area. any species specific or mule deer elk antelope and in, uh, um, in arizona uh, which i can't hunt mule deer this year i shot one already in january so i have to just buy the point for mm-hmm. this year um, new mexico i'm a resident so i put in for everything possible and colorado uh, this year i'll just do mule deer and then wyoming i'm looking at mule deer antelope so nice. it could be a really full year or it could be nothing I have pretty good draw odds in uh, the area that I want to hunt at in Colorado. I should be able to draw with, I think I've
0: got three points. I could yeah. look in my point tracker. Right. Exactly. right so so when you're researching these hunts, what are your favorite tools you like to lean on on Insider to help you figure out your plan, your strategy, or even maybe looking to a new opportunity? Yeah. Um, so I
1: start with Insider 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm going through that, obviously select the species. I don't really get too critical about the size right up front. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can, right? Like when I was looking at, uh, well, I'll I'll walk through it and then I can specify more. So you pick your species and then I don't, I don't get too critical about size. I look at the dates that I'm going to be able to hunt. And then I kind of pick the, um, like Colorado, for example, there's four different rifle hunts you can do. There's archery, there's muzzleloader, there's all kinds of stuff. So I kind of break down the dates that I have available. And then I start picking apart those hunts. And then I always ch- try to pick. I just scroll right over to fifty-one percent public land to kind of get some of those
0: yeah, more privatized units. Yeah, you just want to yeah, try to find a place you can hunt, and then you want a unit that actually has a lot of public land because you want right. to be able to bounce around if need be, right? Right, or a better access.
1: Yep. Because if there's only ten percent public land, it may be really good public land, but there might be
2: one trailhead. Right. And yep. I, I would say too. I think a lot of you know, majority of people going Western hunting, like you said, only have a couple of weeks out of the year to do it. So they have specific dates in mind that they want to do that hunt. So like using that filter to start off right with the bat, like, all right, I know I'm going to take September 10th to the 20th off. What hunts can I do? And then yeah. working from that way, I think, because a lot of time people do get caught up in those filters, like, oh, big, where's the big animals at? Yeah, yeah. And then but, but everything a... disappears. And it's mm-hmm. like,
1: I want a 320 bull. They scroll all the way over.
2: Oh, I only got four units I could choose from
1: during this one hunting season or something. And then they
0: get caught up like, oh, I'm going to need to build up a bunch of points for that. Mm -hmm. But it's like, yeah, that's why, like you said, like you don't really care much about trophy potential. Yeah. Certain people might be concerned about that. Maybe they're just been hunting forever and they want the biggest animals now. But it's like to avoid that filter and go the other stuff, it's like you're just putting more tags in your pocket. You're getting more experience to hunt every single year. You're just gaining that knowledge that then when you actually have points for other states, you know how to hunt big bulls yeah and then you can go after it and you could always find big animals in any single unit like there's always those anomalies everywhere so it's like yeah trying to chase trophies all the time it's like if you just want opportunity you just want to go hunting like you don't need to play around with that filter a lot you just want to pick up a tag you want to go hunting that's it that's and that's that's where i'm at in my hunting world right now
1: i'm not worried about the 200 inch mule deer if i stumbled on one then fantastic if i don't i'm I don't even know what my Arizona one I just shot this year. I, I want to say we just rough scored him at like 140, mm-hmm. and I was blown away. I was yeah. so happy with that deer, mm-hmm. right? Because we don't see a lot of those those decent mule deer bucks out there, and it's a lot of coos country. And so I was super happy w- with that deer. Um, but I do play around with those filters a lot, and I so I try to go in there. And then my I think my other this year I found the hunting regulation page, and that was huge for me. Because so what because I'm I live in the West now and I'm starting to build points, it was really about timing, right? Yep. And to, to be able to time it. And the way that you guys have the hunting regulation page for each state set up, I was able to go in there and pull out all of the important dates and then I put those in a spreadsheet that kind of overlaps each other. And so I knew I know if I draw a New Mexico elk hunt, that's gonna be a focus for me. And yep. that's my September focus. And then I had to look at, okay, well, what opportunities are out there for October? And that is the roughly the time that I'm looking at going to Wyoming. So I know, okay, well, this is what I have. Wyoming's a little weird too because their units are – some of their deer units are you can only hunt the 1st through the 10th mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, antelope is 15 through whatever. So even within the states, you have to kind of yeah. look at what's going to overlap. Yeah. And so I use that regulation page to set that up.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the rules and regulation page because that's an area that I don't think a lot of people hit on very hard. But it's very useful. Like you said, you can figure out all the different details about the state. Like I go through their You know, explain to people about Colorado, how you have to read all the different little things because, like, what's the square inches of orange you need? Mm -hmm. Do you need to have your hunter ed card with you in the field? Like, Colorado, you have to have it in the field. And so all those little things will help you to not only plan your hunt like you're doing, but also once you actually get a tag in your pocket, like, what are actually the main details I need to know about before I actually venture into that state? Mm -hmm. Do I have to tag the animal does the tag have to be on the meat or can it be on the antler like a lot of people even get that confused like some tags in some states are not supposed to be on the antler if you quarter quarter and debone the animal That yeah. tag is actually supposed to be on the meat so technically you could possibly get a citation for that mm-hmm. even though you're totally legal and your animals yeah. is just how you you know tagged it yeah so diving into there and like you said too like figuring out yeah i apply for this state and i know i'm gonna get the money back if i don't draw and i can instantly then use that money that I applied for in Wyoming towards maybe a different state later on, like trying to plan that out. So that way you're, you're not fronting a ton of money all the time. You're using your app, your money you have for apps very wisely. Right, And
1: that's laid out on there too, is the cost per
0: resident, for non-resident, yeah. for youth and
2: all of yeah. that stuff. The too. season dates yep. and then like the types, like you're talking in Wyoming that dictate some of those season dates are all in those hunt rigs, which, yeah. is, I mean, I look at the hunt rigs as if you went to the state and you got their brochure on it's going to have all that information in our hunt rigs. It's exact
0: same. I like it because it's a little cleaner. Yeah, You don't have all the other stuff oh, you don't need. You don't have all those ads and exactly. the regulations trying, right. to, trying to pin it apart.
1: And it's, it's broken. De- the way you guys have it broke out is really good, too. And then it tells you how the draw works for every state, mm-hmm. too. So you're going to see if... Some units, you just don't even have a chance, right? You're yep. just never going to have a chance. So why even apply? Yep. Probably like me applying for archery unit one in Arizona. Yeah, it's <laughs> it like, isn't going to happen.
0: It's but, like I always pick on my dad. It's like, you know, he was always applying in Colorado, thinking he could draw the northwest corner of Colorado, one of the best units for, for elk. Yeah, yeah. And he has now, I think, 19 or 20 points. And I'm like, Dad, do you realize, you don't realize how the draw process yeah. works? You technically will never draw that tag until you're 150 years old. When I calculated it out for him. Like, yeah. you have so many people in front of you, and it's a preference point state and you're never going to catch that, and you're just burning your time right now, and you're getting older like we all are, yeah. so we need to switch your strategy around, try to put a tag in your pocket. Eventually, when you want to burn those, like there's obviously a lot of units you can just go right now. We don't want to apply for a unit that he could have drawn at five points when he had right. 20 right. points, but just figuring out all those different aspects of the draw, how it works, because that's going to put more tags in your pocket, because guys could just be applying every year thinking they're going to draw it, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, why do I never draw? And it's like, well, you don't know how the draw works. That's why you always, I know we talk a lot about strategy articles, mm-hmm. like those insider application strategy articles. Those are going to nail down all the little intricate details, explain it to you super, super well. Like, yeah, we can research 24-7, 365 on GoHunt, draw odds and filtering 2.0, but the app strategies that we release, you know, three to four weeks before the deadline, that's where the nitty gritty details are kind of hidden in there yeah. for people to use. Mm-hmm. Those are pertinent to this new year. If they change some regulations, we talk about it in there and it just helps you out your overall strategy. Yeah.
1: And then those, the dates were important to me because the way that I'm building my points now is if I, if I applied for everything all at the same time, and what if I drew everything at yeah. the same time? I mean, I'll figure it out, right? Or point guard back to Arizona, and I could figure that out, but the points are burned. So if, if I would draw something in Arizona, or let's use deer, for example, right? Yeah. I already shot a deer, so I know I'm gonna get another Arizona point. If I drew one in New Mexico, then I don't need to apply for Colorado or Wyoming. I'll, I'll be happy with having yeah, a exactly. few hunts. And then there's another point in Colorado and another point in Wyoming. Whereas if I just applied for everything and I drew everything, yeah. I, I have all these tags all over the place that I really don't have time to go hunt. And now I have no points in any state. Yep. So,
0: and that's why it's useful too to understand like, what is the tag return return process in some of those mm-hmm. states like Wyoming, you draw, that's it you that's your tag like yeah. so you have to that's why you have to use that as your strategy then, and then maybe not apply for those yeah. other states like you're saying just yeah. figuring out can you turn it back in which ones is more priority than the other or and colorado kind of-
1: colorado yeah. you can turn it in but yeah you either get a refund or you burn your points you gotta yep. take your yeah. pick on that so
2: i think to kind of close it out what would you give for advice to someone new trying to go out and do their first western hunt what would be some advice you have for them become a go hunt insider no. besides that one besides that, that's, <laughs> that's good. the okay. best okay. one okay Very
0: good. no
1: uh it's just go right just just go if you don't have the money for a tag go with a buddy who's got a tag or just try to take the opportunity to go um get out west and, and experience it if you already live in the west then it you, you know what the mountains are like because you've probably been out before and just never hunted whatever but as i tell people all the time you just got to get out there for the first time Yep. even if you don't have that tag in your pocket learn from
2: that first experience build off of it yeah and try it again yeah Yeah,
1: there's so much to be said for that first camping trip or that just call it a camping trip even if you're just going out during elk season maybe nobody has a tag well camp with some buddies buy a bugle tube and go out and experience that what it's like because you will come back if a if a bull bugles at you from even any distance away, it's the most powerful thing ever in the mountains. So you're coming back. You're going to come back and hunt an elk.
2: Heck yeah. Unless well, you're ready. You Yeah. yeah. Besides Brady. If
1: mule deer bugled, would your life change? Oh, it probably would change a lot. <laughs> I kind of like that they don't bugle. It just means to me, like I always say,
0: like is a fairer species. You know, they're yeah, just majestic yeah. and perfect and yeah, just but, everything about them. Yeah,
2: it was but awesome. No, I, I think you just got to go. You got to yeah. get out there. Make the jump. I like that. So, for sure. Swear's so the best way
0: for people to. uh follow you check out your podcast all that stuff instagram
1: right now and then facebook i i think it still exists uh but no instagram is pretty good the podcast will be coming back soon so you'll be able to search it and And that's um, just backcountry rookies backcountry rookies i think there's some legacy type stuff out there on the sportsman's nation network but that's all going away and we'll be coming back for
2: my own awesome. feed and all of that stuff so yeah it's awesome. good having you on chad yeah thanks man Ooh, yeah. i really appreciate let it let you go get down to the strip and just lose more money have some cocktails yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good. that's gonna happen and it's sure. good too you can yeah. see
0: the new office and check out all the new digs and yeah. everything going on here because it's busy and that warehouse is ginormous yeah yep yeah.
1: yeah so i'm out here in vegas just hanging out and i wanted to come out to go hunt and they showed me around the new shop and everything now i'm gonna go by the campos for a little bit and talk about some gear i think there spend some money. There you go. It's yeah. better to spend money here yeah. than in the casinos cuz you know, yeah, so you, re- you return on investment here is way better yeah. than the casino. I told him I need some bino bandits after that uh Arizona hot deer hunt we did. I sat like this <laughs> for the whole Oh yeah, blocking your, hunt, blocking, blocking your binos. And, yeah, so try those out. But thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah really we appreciate
0: it. it.
2: Yeah. yeah.